Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real life Christian church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. This is a new series of messages that I call Subtle Deception. Subtle Deception. What does it mean to deceive? It means you lead somebody to believe that something is right that's really not right. That's what it means to deceive. Subtle deception. I looked at Webster's Collegiate Dictionary and got the definition of subtle, and this is really good. This is how Satan operates. Subtle deception. Subtle is, quote unquote, delicately suggestive. Not grossly obvious. Not easily detected. But I love that. Delicately suggestive. Subtle to the point where you believe wrong is right and right is wrong. And lots of people are there. I take my cue from this series, so to speak, from the, from the Apostle Paul. And here's why. Because what concerned the Apostle Paul the most about the congregations he served and establishes with lies. That was his number one concern about the congregations that he established. Lies from false teachers. And Paul knew the source of those lies. And he died, got this from Jesus himself. In John 8, verse 44... Jesus said this to the Pharisees, and he said this about the devil. The devil devil was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. There is no truth in the devil. See, when he lies, he speaks his own native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The devil is the source of all lies. Listen, the devil has more demons or devils than we can number. And only by the limited supernatural power that God allows the devil to have, these devils, demons, fallen angels, whatever you want to call them, infect our culture with lies. And demons affect us primarily, I believe, through the mass media. I look at this commercial for Valtrex. Ever see that commercial for Valtrex? The, the, the girl says, I have genital herpes. That's what we used to call VD, right? And now she doesn't have to worry about passing her herpes on to her soulmate or her significant other because she takes Valtrex. And that really sounds good, you know. I mean, you know, I won't affect my partner. That sounds good. But it also assumes that sex without marriage is okay as long as you don't infect your partner. You see, you see what I mean? See how subtle that is? See how subtle that is? Subtle deception, delicately suggestive. I think about this um, commercial too, talking about commercials for the MGM Grand. I mean, that thing's a real loser, you know. I'm, I, I shouldn't have seen it, I mean. Um, and I'm not suggesting you ever watch this. They just happen while you're watching something. It says, but come to our new hotel and you'll have all your erotic, sensual passions aroused. And in your spare time, when you're not satiating, all your erotic senses will clean you out at the gaming tables. They don't say that. <laughs> I mean, this is, um, maybe that one's not so subtle, but here's where the subtlety comes. You know what people tell me? More people have told me this, hear this. Oh, you know, we don't, we don't travel a lot and pay, and pay motel, motel fees, and we don't play golf and all that, but we use our entertainment dollar to gamble. They call it their entertainment dollar. You know how subtle that, yeah, you just see how deceived those people are? Subtle, subtle deception. The Apostle Paul was very concerned, above all his concerns, that the people of his, the congregations he established, get this, his his chief concern was that these people be so grounded in truth they could identify the lies because they knew the truth so well and then reject the lies. And I'm looking at um, one thing he wrote to the people in in the province of Galatia. This is Galatians chapter 5, verse 7. He says, you were running such a good race. Who cut in on you? 
King James says, who hindered you? Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? See, that kind of persuasion, lies are persuasion, they're subtle. That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. The kind of persuasion does not come from God. He says, what you're hearing and falling for isn't the one who called you. And so lies come from devils. They deceive us into thinking what isn't God's will is God's will. And these lies are so believable. They're subtle. They're Satan's way to undermine our culture and undermine your life. Lies like this, you, that, that you can somehow earn your salvation, that you deserve it, that you're worthy of it. We'll think about that one next week. And this one, that Jesus Christ is not the only way to heaven in this age of pluralism, see? But let's deal with this one today because I think this is the big one, the main one. The lie of what we call a postmodern culture, the lie that truth is relative. Truth is relative. Truth is, and what's truth? I mean, I'll make it as simple as possible. Truth is what's right and what's wrong. But you see, you determine that. If it's right for you, it's right. If it's wrong for you, it's wrong. You are the standard of truth, not God's word. That is Satan's biggest lie, folks. And all other lies, I got to tell you right now, all other lies flow from this primary lie. It is the number one lie of Satan that truth is relative. The Bible is not God's truth. It can't be trusted. Therefore, it's relative to you. You, um, you decide what's true and what isn't. Or, or put it this way, there is no absolute truth. There is no absolute truth. I mean, how do we know that Jesus Christ really is the only Savior from sin? It's right here in God's Word. But when the God's Word goes and you say truth is relative, see, so does Jesus Christ as Savior, and the devil knows that. And since there is no standard of right and wrong because there is no absolute truth, you decide yourself. You become the standard of right and wrong. That is the lie. And to counteract that, we need to look at the Word of God, Daniel chapter 1. And I like this. I really like Daniel chapter 1 because what you have here is a bunch of young people, teenagers, and they're standing on the Word of God. So Babylon conquers the Jews, and most of the Jewish people are transported back to Babylon to live there. And for the most part, they're going to be servants or slaves and households. But the king, a guy named Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar is simply a Babylonian name for a Babylonian god. Nebuchadnezzar, probably the proudest man in the Bible, he, he decrees, get out of these Jewish captives, um, Get the young people and bring the cream of the crop. Find the cream of the crop, and we're going to train these young men. It reads like this in Daniel chapter 1, verse 4. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. Teach them the, um, the language and literature of the Babylonians. And the king assigned them, and here's the big deal. The king assigned these, the, the, these special guys and special training. He assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. And they were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. Now, among those young men being trained were some from Judah. These were the captives from Judah. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the chief official gave new names. To Daniel, he gave the name Belshazzar. Sounds like a superhero. To Hananiah, Shadrach, Mishael, Meshach, and Azariah, Abednego. And those are the three men in the fiery furnace. You know that. So what you've got going here is four guys. Daniel, that's his Jewish name. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these guys are about 15 to 17 years old. And in chapter 1, verse 8, we read this. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Daniel resolved not to defile himself and not not to eat the king's food or drink the king's wine. Now, now, now the big deal. Why did Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego resolve in their hearts not to eat the king's food? Because in his word, in this book, God gave dietary laws and says, you can eat this, but you can't eat that. 
Leviticus chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Say to the Israelites, Of all the animals that live in the land, these are the ones you may eat. And it goes on to talk about in verse 8, Of all the creatures living in the water or the seas, you can eat this and you can eat that. Same thing with the birds in verse 13. Same thing with the insects in verse 20, if you like to eat insects. But then you get down to verse 46, and this sums it all up. These are the regulations concerning animals, birds, every living thing that moves in the water, and every creature that moves about in the ground. You must distinguish between the clean and the unclean, between living creatures and, and creatures that may be eaten and those that may not be eaten. And Daniel knew that scripture. And there were reasons for these dietary laws, and one is that God knows how he made us, and, and God knows. This is just one reason for these dietary laws. But God knows our frame our, our, our makeup, our body, and, and this is the most helpful way to eat. As a matter of fact, there's a, there's a book based on Leviticus 11 called The Maker's Diet by Dr. Jordan Rubin, and lots of people swear by that book. Man, they live by that book. So the big deal here is Daniel and friends said, this is what God says. He makes the rules, and we don't. So we therefore cannot eat the food the king wants us to eat. And God gave Daniel special favor with the, with the chief official over these guys. And so Daniel worked out a deal. And he said, if you give me Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the vegetables and waters for 10 days, food allowed by God in his words, just see if we don't look healthier than anybody else in the program. And the bottom line is Daniel chapter 1, verse 15. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. And so the guard took away their choice food and the wine, and, 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 and they were to drink water, and he gave them vegetables instead. Now, today in the New Testament, of course, those dietary laws and ceremonial laws don't apply to us because those ended when Christ died on the cross and rose again. Those ended. And, and today, the only laws that are binding on us are the moral laws, the Ten Commandments. But these dietary laws are binding on God's people then. And here's the point. Daniel said, this is truth, man. This is God's word. I will live by this. This is my standard of righteous living. This is what I'm going to live by. And these guys are in their mid-teens. That, I mean, that, that's the neat thing. See, the lie, people, is this. Truth is relative. And that's what Satan and his demons want us to believe. The truth is, and truth is what's right and wrong. Here, here's the truth. The truth is, truth is not relative to what you make it to be. The truth is, God's word is truth. John 17, 17, this is your memory work for today. Memorize this passage. Jesus said, Father, sanctify them by your truth. And then he said, your word is truth. Jesus said that, John 17, 17, man, your word is truth. And so the lie is there's no absolute truth, and that lie justifies just about anything. See, if you say there is no truth, and I'm the standard of right and wrong, and I determine truth, that means you can make just about anything right. You can say, I can live with my boyfriend or girlfriend because we're in love. That justifies it. Love makes it right. The Bible never says that. Or why pay two rents? That makes it right. The Bible never says that. Or I don't get along with mom. That makes it right. The Bible never says that. What the Bible teaches, and that's absolute truth, is that you have a formal public ceremony of God-ordained marriage where you commit publicly to each other, and only after that do you enter a sexual relationship. Before that, no sex whatsoever. That's what the Bible says. See, when you make the rules, you can say, I'm divorcing you because I'm not happy. See, that's your rule. That's your rule. Show me that in the Bible. Absolute truth. I mean, this book of absolute truth tells us when your needs aren't being met, I mean, you love that person despite himself or herself. I mean, you pray through it, you work through it. And I've seen people do that and come out the other end and they say, man, you know, we are more committed to each other than ever before. We're more passionate about each other than ever before. Our marriage is better than it's ever been before. And, that, and that God can do that. And that's what the word of God says. See, that's absolute truth. 
God can bring beauty out of ashes, the Word of God tells us. How many of us, how many of us have said this? Well, somebody's got to tell them off. We can't let this go on. See, and there's your justification to be harsh and nasty, but that's your rule again. Somebody's got to tell them off. Devils want you to believe that. They want you to believe truth, right or wrong, is relative to you. But then you go to absolute truth, the Word of God, Romans 12, 17. It tells us don't return evil for evil. It tells you in Romans 12, 18, as far as it depends on you, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. That's truth. Here's another lie. Satan wants you to believe this. My sins will never condemn me. And if you make the rule, sure, it's real easy to make that rule. My sins will never condemn me. I'm not accountable to anybody. Well, that's your rule. But they will condemn you. That's the deal. That's what the Bible says. They will condemn you unless, of course, you trust Christ, who stood in your place and accepted your sin and paid off your sin debt with his life. I hold this youth discipleship class, and I pray you people sign up for this thing, because the one thing I impress upon these kids more than anything else is unless you believe that this book is God's word, Holy Spirit inspired truth, you will never stand. You will never stand for Jesus Christ in this changing world. I mean, these kids are going into a world where their faith is going to be challenged and tested in ways that most of us have never known. Hear me. Here's Daniel, 16 years old, and he said along with his friends, they picked me to train for leadership in this great kingdom of Babylon, but if I don't eat the king's meat and drink the king's wine, I'm not going to be a leader. At best, I'll be a slave in somebody's house, and maybe I'll even die. But Daniel said, that's okay. I'm willing to go the limit. This young man said, that's okay. I'm willing to go the limit to stand, to stand on this word of God. So what about you? What about your kids? And what about your grandkids? What if Islam gets rooted in America? And um, the Islamic leaders say, just accept Islam. And you can go to football games. You can uh, go to work. You can take your family to Dairy Queen at night and buy one of those Oreo blizzards, and they're good. And um, you and your wife or you and your husband go up, go up to Petoskey on a weekend and walk through the woods and hold hands and see the beautiful color changes and go to your motel in the evening and sit in the hot tub. And you can do that. You can do that. As long as you accept Islam and say Allah is God. And you have that right. See, you got that right. I mean, you define truth. I mean, you pick your God. But if you don't accept Islam, no hot tub, no Petoskey, no walking in the woods, no Dairy Queen, no job, folks, none of that. You pay the price. And Daniel would say, I'll pay the price. 16 years old. So I asked myself again, what about me? What about you? I mean, what if somebody you cared about, I mean, cared about even a little, is living contrary to, the guy, to God's word? Here's, God, here's the devil's lie. Well, if it's right for them, it's right. And, and, you know, you don't have a right to speak about their lifestyle. I mean, everybody's lifestyle is correct. If it's right for them, it's got to be right. There is no right and wrong. Truth is relative to the individual. You make the rules, so don't say anything. Don't upset the apple cart. Labor Day. She called me, Shirley and Cliff, baptismal sponsors from many, many, many years ago. We, God sent beautiful people into our lives, and we knew these people. They were our best, the closest people in the world to us when we lived in Youngstown, Ohio. And they called on Labor Day, and I haven't seen these people in years, haven't talked to them in years. And she and her husband now are in a nursing home in Columbus, Ohio, 
And it was really good to hear from Shirley again. We talked for 10 minutes, and then she said, oh, did I tell you, Jeff and Jeff is her son. Jeff is gay. And um, Jeff is extremely, extremely successful. He is the vice president of a major, major restaurant chain. And Jeff, of course, pays the bills in the nursing home. And his gay partner is a very successful attorney. And, and, and together they pay the nursing home bills. And the gay partner stops like a loving wife and says, how are you doing? What can I do to help you? And I said this to Shirley. I hadn't talked to this lady in about 15 years. And I said, Shirley, how can you condone that? Oh, she said, but it's fine. And, here's, and she, she's, a, she's a believer that this is how we fall into this, folks, okay? She said, oh, it's fine, because they had a, a, a service of commitment in a church. And it was so beautiful. And all these people came, and it brought me to tears. And Jeff sings in the choir. And Jeff is the pastor's personal friend. And I said, Shirley... I'll tell you what I wanted to say. I wanted to say, surely if he died tonight, he'd be in hell, but I didn't say that. I said, surely this is blatant denial of what God tells us in his word. I said, do you know where your son is with the Lord Jesus Christ? And there was a long pause, a long, long pause. And they said, but he pays the bills. And his partner is so good. And they had a religious service. Do you, are you beginning to see what I, what I mean by subtle deception? I mean subtle, subtle deception. But we must believe this is the word of God. And you will never stand for truth unless you know, believe, embrace, and own the, the fact that this, is, that, that this word of God is pure truth. See, God inspired the apostle to, Paul to write this in Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians 6, Paul wrote, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle. The real battle is against demons, principalities, powers, and I like what he calls them, the spiritual rulers of wickedness in high places. Now listen to what Paul says in verse 13. God wrote this, not me, verse 13 of chapter 6. He says, therefore, you put on the full armor of God. And what's the full armor of God? That's his word, folks. So that when the day of evil comes, listen, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, now listen to this, verse 14, stand firm then with what? The belt of truth. What's that? That's God's word. Buckled around your waist. So you have to know this book is true. And, you know, and that's what I teach the kids in that youth discipleship class, first and foremost. I said, if you're going to stand for Jesus Christ in a changing world, you must believe this book is truth. You, you, you must be, if you're going to be a Daniel, um, if you're going to be a Daniel and willing to go the limit for and willing to go the limit for Jesus, you've got to be able to stand on this book and you have to know this book is truth. So why do you believe God's word is absolute truth and the standard of faith and life? And the number one reason is this, because God's holy. You know what it means to be holy? God can't sin. That means God can't tell one little lie. And if this book is God's truth and there's one little lie in that Bible, and if there's anything, anything in the world that misleads you, one misleading word in that Bible, then guess what? God's not holy. God's a sinner. We're all lost, so go party because there's no hope. But see, the pure fact is that God is holy. God is holy. And this book is. Every word, truth. Here's something else. Um, every prophecy, every promise God, God ever made in the Bible happened, just like he said it would sometime century later, centuries later. Think about this. The Bible has withstood every attack on it. It has withstood every attack and prevailed. And think about this. This single book has changed hearts and lives beyond counting because God himself, the Holy Spirit, through this word, changes us from the inside out. I mean, put that all together. God's holy. He can't lie. Every promise and prophecy has been fulfilled. This book has stood the test of time. Hearts and lies in, in uncountable hearts and lies have been changed. So, folks, the world is changing 
And, and you and me have to make some changes in routine if we're going to stand. I mean, if you're going to know truth to stand on, you have to plan study times into your day, meditation times into your day. Whenever there's an opportunity to get into this book where other people are gathered together so we can talk about it and explain and discuss God's truth, man, that's got to be a top priority. You've got to put that before everything else. If you're going to be like a Daniel... I mean, I can't tell you how passionate I am about this word. God's word must be a top priority in your life. It's got to be. But devils have you believing this isn't truth, that truth is relative to you. Now, here's something else we need to know. God inspired David to write this, Psalm 51, verse 5. And, 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 and this speaks to a culture that's telling you, you set the rules. In Psalm 51, verse 5, here's what God inspired David to write. I was conceived and born in sin. Conceived and born in sin. David said, from the moment of my birth, from the moment I came out of the womb, sin tainted my whole nature. What does that mean? It means I can't know truth apart from God's word. I have no capacity to do good apart from the word of God and the Holy Spirit working in me through that word. And this culture wants you to believe that truth or right and wrong is relative to you. And the word of God says that's impossible. You can't know right or wrong. You can't do good apart from God's word and the spirit working in and through you. So let's look at the benefits or the blessings of standing on the absolute truth of God's word. Daniel and friends did not eat the king's meat or drink the king's wine. Instead, they ate vegetables and water for 10 days. And in Daniel chapter 1, verse 15, at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food, see? But see, it doesn't stop there. Somebody presented Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to King Nebuchadnezzar himself. And the king was noticeably impressed with these guys. And this was Daniel's first encounter with this great king. And like I said, he was noticeably impressed. And listen to this. The first impression stuck because as time went on, God gave Daniel more and more and more favor with the king. And a long story short, in Daniel 4.34, and we'll talk about this next week, this proudest of all kings believed in the true God. And I think you're going to see this guy in heaven. I really do. Why? Because Daniel and his friends said, this is truth. God sets the standards, not men. Hey, when they stood before that king, don't you kid yourself, he knew that they did not eat his food, and he respected them for their principle. And here's the point. When you stand for what you believe, people respect you. I, I, I won't single out one story because there's too many, but um, how many remember the two, two students who got shot at Columbine High School? I think they walked in that room with, the, with, the, with shotguns or some, some guns or some, some kind and said, hey, who's a Christian here who believes in Jesus? And two girls said, me and me and so on, and they got shot down. Well, how many literally thousands upon thousands of young people were moved because of that incident, because they were willing to stand on that? How many young people came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and how many committed to stand on the truth of God's word and not deny him. Jesus said this, blessed are you, blessed are you if you are persecuted for righteousness sake. And I love what the NIV says here. This is why I like the NIV. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for the cause of me. May they be persecuted for the cause of him. I love this. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for the cause of him. 
Listen, people may disagree with you, but they respect people of principle. You make them think and you develop avenues into their lives. I mean, they're going to confide in you. They trust you. Here's what they see. They see a strength in you they probably don't see in themselves and they don't see that strength in others. They may openly disagree with you because that's the popular thing to do. Nobody's wrong anymore. And they may even rail at you, but I want to tell you. They will admire your strength because there's something going on inside those folks that we don't see. Listen, when you in a gentle and firm way challenge people's lifestyle, when you address issues, when you're willing to bring in God's word as the reason you don't buy into it and the reason you don't practice it and you're not afraid to say, I'm not going to do this like Daniel said because God says no. And I'm committed to that. And when you're not afraid to do that, you may turn some people off, but I'll tell you, something's going on inside them that you don't see, and that's called respect. And when people respect you, they think, if I ever need somebody to confide in, I would go to them. And these same people who railed at you are going to catch you one day when you're alone and say, listen, let's talk about this. They will confide in you because what's there? There is a trust factor there. When you're able to, when, when you stand for what you believe, there's a trust factor. I mean, people are going to look at you and say, there's someone who's committed. There's someone who won't back down. There's someone who will give me a straight story. There is someone I can trust. And what that says, man, about the Lord Jesus Christ, and what that says about Christianity in general, and what that says about you is powerful. There's blessings in standing for what you believe, and there's blessings in bringing everything back to the rule of God's word, where you say, this determines truth and not me. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.